the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. What number of coffee are you on right now? Honestly, three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, no exaggeration. I'm just like, it's been a crazy week. How are you functioning? Like you are so busy right now between NHL playoffs, NHL now, WWE. Like what is happening right now? Well, everything, I guess, all at once, which you're no stranger to. I mean, you, you've lived that life. Um, it's, I mean, it's so fun and it, it just like you get through it on based purely on adrenaline. But then the second that you don't have something, it is like crash central. Like that's it. Like it's just over for you. And to add to it, like to give you an idea of my day yesterday, like I, I was shooting this um, show for WWE with A&E, which was awesome, but we shot in the morning. So I shot two shows in the morning for that. I think our call time was eight. We wrapped at 12. I had to drive to Madison square garden to do NHL now for Madison square garden. The AC in my car is broken. So I'm, I'm literally like, I'm, first of all, I'm completely made up. I'm so, my windows down the whole way. Like my hair was 
I'm just an absolute knot by the time I got to MSG. And like my makeup is just sweat off my face. I was like, this is the good life, like living the dream. Oh my God. Also driving into MSG was a bold choice. I know, but I, I felt like it was, it was my best shot because if I drove to the train station and trained in, I was like, I don't know, it might take me all the time I need just to drive to like Secaucus Junction and train in. Good old Secaucus. Yeah, it all worked <laughs> out. It all worked out. Okay, so what are your moments like when you have that like second kind of debrief, let's just chill in the car for a minute going on to the next gig or like being on a plane. Do you just put on music and zone out or does that become still like prep mode for you? I used to always be prep mode in that time. Like, okay, like let me get myself in order for the next thing that I have to do. And I still do that for a little bit. But I've learned um, through experience that sometimes it's better to just actually do something else, like take a nap, uh, listen to music, listen to like a, a meditation or or even sometimes I throw on like a motivational YouTube compilation because I just need to like, I need to recalibrate my energy, you know, and make sure that I'm, make sure that I'm in a positive headspace as opposed to just like, a stressful headspace of, oh my God, I was just in like WWE mode. And now I have to make sure that I, I have everything straight from the hockey game the other day and what's happening tonight and who's injured. And sometimes it's better to just, if you feel good, then your instincts will be on point and you'll get through anything. Yeah. 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 If you drop a stat or something, you can make up for it with a little <laughs> song and a dance. Just a little personality, you know, distract them with nonsense. Give it a little zhuzh. Um, how was it working with King Henrik the other day? Is there a more perfect specimen? Oh my God. Like, I know people, you know, they focus on, on the look, the overall look. Very handsome. Man. Very, very handsome. What is it like in real life? Does it really like, I feel like his teeth would give off that little ping. Oh yeah. It's like, I need to go buy some Crest white strips after this because my <laughs> teeth are not on that level. Um, no, but you know what? He has like an aura about him as well. Obviously his career speaks for itself. And his look is a very classy, fashionable, put together, like throw him in a cologne commercial, you're good. Like he looks great, but he's so calming and very kind, very nice, was that way as a player as well. And just like so chill, like Hank is chill. So he's he's got a good, a good uh, energy about him too. So it's, yeah, I mean, I guess he's perfect. What a special man. I, he's basically like hockey's Tom Brady. Well, Tom Brady would have like the upper hand in championships as Hank was never able to win. But by like societal standards and, um, you know, just having a very even face, like he is an attractive human, obviously. But I am not attracted to Tom Brady. Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't do it for me. I get that because... I don't know that Tom Brady would be my type either. I mean, if you look at my husband, I like him a little rougher <laughs> around the edges. So do I. And not a dig at my husband. I think my husband's very handsome. What a hunk. What a dream boat. But super rough around the edges. And that's it for me. Like, Tom Brady is very, like, um, very clean cut. So is Hank, I guess. But I, Hank, I don't know. Hank's got a totally different look. Well, Hank's, yeah, anyways, whatever. We could do a whole podcast <laughs> on, <laughs> on that alone. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was just about to take like a whole other deep dive and I'm like, whatever, we got other shit to talk about. Um, how was the WWE world treating you? Really good. I mean, I drop your name every chance I get. Like, I have no shame in that whatsoever. I'm just like, I will be that person. It's like, oh, like, I'm new. I'm Jackie. Like, do you know Renee? Yeah, I know her. Like me. Please like me. Um, no. But I hope that's working for you. Working wonders. Working great. One, especially with like the Kevin Owens and the edges of the world. Like, it's a great, great thing to toss out well, there. Well, us Canadians got to stick together. We all have each other's backs for sure. Yes. And you can actually feel that a little bit like backstage. Like uh, it's, it's kind of wild, but um, no, it's, everyone's been really great, really awesome. Um, it's been a, a kind of a whirlwind experience so far, but what a world, what a world that is. It is like so cool. I mean, I know people know, but just like a friendly reminder that you did cover wrestling in Canada when you were in Toronto, you did Aftermath, shout out to Aftermath, shout out to Right After Wrestling, the OGs. Um, So you had covered it for some time and then, you know, you left Canada, you moved to America, you work for NHL Network, all those beautiful, great things, but now you're back. How, I mean, what, how many years was that? Like five years? Yeah, so I finished on Aftermath five years ago. Look at me and my timelines. I didn't even do the yeah, math. You got I didn't it. like I didn't prep that. I just it's right in <laughs> here. Two Listen, copies for me right now, but I got it. You got it together, RP. You got it together. Was it a little overwhelming though? Like kind of dipping your toe back in that world to go, wait, what did I miss? What's happening? I've been super busy doing all these other things. So two things. Number one, I think having the experience on Aftermath really prepared me to enter that world and that role because I mean, you hosted Aftermath as well. You learn a lot about the dialogue around WWE and how you're supposed to present the brand and a lot of the key terms and a lot of the like, no, no terms and that sort of, so it was very, like, I felt like I was a step ahead in that regard going into it. And, but you yeah, got when, the list of the words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not a belt. Yes. It's not a belt. A belt holds up your pants. But being away for five years, like you do miss things. And when I came to NHL Network, like full transparency, I was all in. I mean, I was like, okay, it is nothing but hockey here. Hockey has always been my dream. You know that. And so for me, it was like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to host my own two hour show where we're talking the whole time. Like what a dream. So for me, it was reading everything I could, watching everything. I, I was just all immersed in the hockey world and the NHL world. I wasn't watching wrestling. So when the opportunity came up, I jumped at it, but I also, and I called you too. I was like, should I do this? What do you think about this? <laughs> yeah. Is this a good idea? Yeah. But yeah, I, so I had visa issues. I got hired by WWE in July. I didn't start for WWE until almost October. I had like two months where I could watch Raw, watch SmackDown, watch Kevin Patrick. Get your and, legs back on. Yeah, and watch yeah. the show too, right? Because Raw Talk and Talk and Smack are totally different shows than they were, you know, when I was when I was covering wrestling and you were hosting Talk and Smack. It's a totally different format. So I was lucky. I got to kind of watch everything and pick up on on, you know, who some of these wrestlers were that weren't doing it when I was when I was covering it. It's so crazy how much our careers have intersected in like at different times from like, okay, so I was the judge on Gillette drafted when you came in and won that season. We will unpack that. 
um, doing Aftermath. I go off to WWE. You do Aftermath. Then you're over at NHL Network. I leave WWE. Now you're doing Talking Smack and Raw Talk. Like, it's so crazy. Crazy. And then we got to do Jack and Pack together on NHL Network, which was amazing. Like, that was the first time that we actually got to work together. Like, we had worked literally side by side. Like, our desks were beside each other at one point at, uh, at the score. But we never did really anything on air together prior to this. And it was done by Zoom. So I do feel a little like ripped <laughs> off by that. But we got a little taste. I think it went well. So it's now we like push for more next year and maybe get some in-studio work together. But uh, it is crazy. I was actually just talking to someone about this a couple of days ago because I've been shooting this A&E show. Can you say what it is or is it like a big secret? No, it's out there. It's out there. It's um, it's called WWE Smack Talk. So, oh yes, you posted about that. Yeah. Yeah. So A&E is bringing back their biographies, which are, which were great last year. And we're basically coming out of the biography is going to air. And then a new show called rivals is going to air, which is about like the best rivalries of all time, which is really actually such a cool concept. And then we come on afterwards and just talk about those things and bring on a guest that's connected to one of those two subject matters. So, And who are you hosting it with, Booker? Yeah, me, Booker T, and Peter Rosenberg. That's a good group. Shout out to Rosenberg. Those two, by the way, so easy to work with and such nice people. Like, they're just really, like, not really any ego there at all. Just, like, very welcoming. I feel like that's kind of like, mo- not to just like say like, oh, everyone's really great and nice, but I feel like that's the big takeaway for most people working with people from WWE. Everyone's like easy to work with. They're prepared. They they know how, like the red light comes on and everyone knows what to do, you know? It's so easy. It is. And um, I forget how it came up. We were trying to figure out like a, like a lighting issue or something. <laughs> And someone was like, uh, well, the director or the director, Casey, um, who you would have worked with at some point, I think in Stanford, um, he's been there. I think he said like 25 years or something like that. And, uh, he's like, let me see your Instagram. Let me see how they light you on, uh, on, on your hockey show. And I'm like, okay. And he like goes to it. He's like, you know, Renee, what is this Jack and Pat? What is this? And I'm like telling him the whole backstory. I was like, well, there was like, the Canada stuff and like reality show. Yeah. I was like, here, I'll give you the whole thing. I'll give you the, he's like, that is crazy. And it is like, we go back over a decade now. It's so crazy. Like, I don't mean to like, I feel like I always say this to you, or at least I try to make a point of saying this, but I, I, I feel like, like a proud, like older sister or something. I'm like, look at all the things that you've done. Like, God, let's, okay, so let's take things back to drafted for a second. So I started working at the score, score is uh, the sports network that we both worked at in Toronto, um, maybe like two, three years prior to you coming in. So I'm a judge on drafted, the search for Canada's next sportscaster, and in Saunters, sweet, cute little Jackie Redmond. You know what's funny is you were the first person that taught me about hair extensions. I didn't know what hair extensions were. I remember you having a bag of hair extensions. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Oh. <laughs> Those hair, oh, my hair was like jet black. I looked yes. like uh, I should be from uh, like the Adams family. I felt like that was like a bit of my look back then. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So what was that experience like for you of, I mean, how old were you then? Or mid twenties? I think I was 24, maybe 23, somewhere. No, I was probably 24. 
So this opportunity comes up that there's this like reality show competition to search for Canada's next sportscaster. Did you instantly go, that's for me. Let me uh, put together a little reel. I knew what drafted was. I had watched it before and I had watched, like, I loved the score. I watched you on the break. Like I, I was very into that brand and what they were doing there. Cam Stewart, like the whole thing. He is the fucking best. (laughs) Yeah. So this opportunity comes up. I was working in radio in London and this opportunity comes up to audition for this hockey show, this daily hockey show. They're looking for a male and a female, like in their early to late twenties to host this show. Didn't know the network, didn't know anything. A friend of mine, a girl that I worked with, um, she was an actress before her radio morning show gig. So she used to get all these casting alerts. She goes, you'd be perfect for this. It's hockey. Like sends it to me and is like, you should apply. And I'm like, I have no headshots. I have no reel. I have, you know, pretty much next to no experience in anything except, you know, college and, and, you know, some volunteer work outside of school. But I, I put an application together. I took headshots with my sister in my parents' front entrance. Please tell me you still have those. I'm sure that I could dig them up in my email somewhere. So I apply and they they pick me to go to a first call. And I'd never done any sort of audition at all. Like I come in and they're like, what's your actor? And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so like, just say your name and give us your phone number. Like, to the, you know, like whatever, like to the yeah. camera. Yeah. So I went through that process for like six months. I had found out that it was for the score. It was going to be this daily hockey show. And I think it was somehow connected to like I don't know, NBC was going to pay the score to like do some show. Anyway, whatever. I do it for like six months. It comes down to me and three other girls and probably like, uh, like seven dudes. And they bring us to the score. It was actually my birthday. And I remember meeting you for the first time then, because you came down and said hi to us all in the green room. And we all auditioned all day. They tried different pairings of us together. A few weeks after that, they called me and they said, you know, we're not going to go with you. Um, you're super young. Like we think you have a lot of potential, but just not sure that this is the opportunity, like the time for you devastated. I like, bawled my eyes out to my dad, to my dad, because I was so, I was so naive. Right. I thought like that was my own going to be my only shot. Yeah. It feels that way sometimes though, when those opportunities come up and you're like, I know that I'm perfect for this. Like, just let me get my foot in the door. Like it feels so do or die. Exactly. And so I was devastated. And then maybe three weeks later, the casting agent calls me and says, there's this reality show Gillette drafted the same producers that you were auditioning for, for this hockey show that you didn't get, think that you should go on this show. They want to see more of you. This is a great opportunity to kind of like put you to the test and see, you know, what you can handle. They'll put you right in the top 10 if you send in your information and you want to do it. That's how I got on that show was just like, I had gone through this crazy process and, you know, didn't get something. And then, you know, that's why you should always try everything. Cause you just don't know like where it's going to lead. Totally. Like who you're going to get in front of. And it's just, it is having that experience too. I mean, also let's, let's harden the shell up a little bit. We don't, you know, you got to like get out there, lose out on some jobs. Know what that feels like. Cause God, is that not the most annoying shit to go through? But It's part of the process. It happens throughout your entire career, right? Like even once you experience success, like you don't get things that you want. It's annoying as all hell. Give me the things that I want. 
Yeah. <laughs> you gotta be ready for that. You gotta be ready to be pissed off. Like I was perfect for that. How didn't they pick me? You know, whatever. So when you came in and did, um, drafted though, I always felt that you were like kind of head and shoulders above everybody. I remember a moment when I was like, oh, okay. I don't remember exactly what the challenge was. I think it was when we were getting down to like the nitty gritty finals and you guys had to come out and kind of like plead your case to us as to like why you were so meant to be in that spot. And I remember you being like very poised and very articulate about why you should win it. And I was like, well, shit, I would have crumbled. I would have been like, I don't know. I'm probably not even that good anyways. I'm probably just shit. But I feel like you like really nailed that. I, I, I can like mentally like drop back into that moment of that happening and like being nervous for you guys. I don't remember that part. Well, I remember coming out of that too, right? And and chatting with Greg Sansoni about starting the job and being in that environment. And I, I remember just like, just be ready. Like there's going to be people here that don't think you deserve to be here. Like there's going to be people that are like, this is a contest winner. Like what a joke. And there was some people. Did it ever feel that way? Oh yeah. There was a couple of times it felt that way for sure. Oh, I would love to get the names off air. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely um, had had some cry sessions in the old score bathroom. Um, but like, for me, it's like, that's a chapter in, in my future book. It's like crying in the bathroom part one. There's probably like three parts. Um, <laughs> I love a good bathroom cry. I love a bathroom cry. I love a car cry. But just love a good moment, you know? Gotta let it out. You do. You do. And like, that's just part of the roller coaster of of the business. Cause part of it is, is me too. Like just caring so much that like little things that happen, they affect you. And like, that's totally fine. It's funny. I remember I'm um, reading Tina Fey's book when she uh, was talking about when she was a head writer of SNL. And she was like, when you're like a woman in that spot as well, like women just react to things differently. She's like, I just had to go in my office and cry sometimes. And it's just what I had to do. And it was fine. And then you get back to it. But it's like the different way that people process things. I'm a big fan of the cry. Yes. Like I cry. I, I am love a, a crier. Cry. Like that is it. I am so due for a cry. I suppress, suppress, suppress. I'm like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. On to the next. Da, 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 da. But like you do need to take that moment to be like, oh, let me ugly cry. Put on a sad album, pour a glass of wine. Like I'm all about giving yourself that time to be sad for a second or get out whatever shit you need to get out. And then you move on and you feel a million times better. And you sleep like a dream after a good cry. But, um, and I do, I think if you bottle it up too much, it just manifests in other ways and affects, you know, your relationships or your, you know, just your, your energy. Anyways, big fan of the cry, but, um, what were we talking about? Oh, to go back to the, to the, to the spiel and the poise, I think like, I was in one of those, those zones for Gillette drafted where like, I knew that I was, I knew that I was good enough to handle the job. And I was, cause you remember that cast was sort of half people that were like good candidates and half like very entertaining, big time personalities. So it was a very like crazy dynamic, but I knew in my heart of hearts, like I am meant to be in this business. I am meant to cover hockey. Like I know this. And I just held on to that. And I, I was so just like tunnel vision. I don't know if I've ever been as like in the zone as I was during that show ever in my whole career. Why hockey? Why has hockey always been the thing 
that you have been so obsessed with? You know what? I just think it's just always been such a huge part of my life. Like people will ask me, when did you get into hockey? And I'm like, I don't have a timeline for you. It has just always been part of my, my family dynamic and the environment that I was raised in. And I think like, ultimately it's such a strong piece of my bond and my relationship with my dad and with my sister and my mom too. But like me and my dad were like this when I was growing up and my mom, who is an absolute boss, she was traveling a lot for work. So Monday to Friday, like my mom wasn't around a lot. My mom was home on weekends mostly. And, um, so my mom's still working. She's someone that will never not work, but she is basically a VP of a company called Colmark. So she oversees, um, you know, like bootlegger, Ricky's, Cleo, those yeah, stores. So they, Ricky's. Shout out to Ricky's, there you baby. Go. <laughs> so they <laughs> oversee all those stores and she is um, a VP of sales. And there's a word for it, but sort of the look of the, like the front of the stores. Do you know what I mean? Visual, visual. There we go. Anyways, she's, my mom is an absolute badass and I get my work ethic from her a million times over. She's, she was an incredible role model for me, but for hockey, you know, growing up, I loved hockey. I played hockey. I was very athletic as a kid. So there's that element and there's loving the Leafs. Like that's all part of it. But ultimately I think it's just rooted in who I am because that's how my dad and I connected. And I, you know, went through a period when I was a kid where the kids on the street didn't want to play with me. And they had, they actually had like an, I hate Jackie club. They asked me, they tried to recruit my sister. Stop. Kids are the worst. Those little rotten shits. Yeah. I remember telling my sister, like, just go be in it. It's fine. And then you won't have to deal with what I'm dealing with. I'm like, I don't even care. Did she join? God, no. My sister is, she has no time. My sister has always been a no fucking nonsense person. She's so, um, when you first meet her, she comes off very shy and reserved. But once you know her. I don't her, think I've ever met your sister. Maybe in passing. I mean, I feel like I have just from like your Instagram and stuff, but I don't think I've ever actually met her. You'd like her. She's, she's no nonsense. Anyways, in that time, I started hanging out with my dad all the time. He was just like, my dad is so funny. He's like, fuck everyone. Just hang out with me. Like, that's what he said to me as an eight-year-old. Um, and we would listen to sports talk radio together. And he would talk to me. We'd listen to call-in shows after the Leafs games. And he would talk to me about whatever they were talking about. And I obviously didn't realize this at nine. But in hindsight, just like, what an impact he had on me. Because he treated me like first of all, one of his buddies, but he also just in this subconscious way taught me your voice matters, what you think matters about this. Like, I want to have a conversation with you about, you know, the Leafs power play. Should Darcy Tucker be on it? Like, you know, whatever. And so it seems so silly, but I think ultimately had such a profound impact on me being the type of person that had an opinion and, you know, wasn't afraid to insert myself into those conversations especially in such a male dominated field. Like that's shout out Steve-O. Like that's, that's my dad. It's so crazy. I mean, I, I, I feel like I think about stuff like that often now, obviously having a daughter is you think about what could be a very casual moment as the adult, as the parent is this impactful moment on this young spongy little brain 
that is now absorbing all these things around them. And yeah, I mean, for that to have that impact on you, for you to be able to have those moments of just hanging, I mean, just having those like bonding moments with your dad is amazing. I love a good father-daughter relationship. Oh my God, let me tell you. He is the absolute best. Cheers to him. Cheers to Steve-O. Sweet man. That's the best. Um, Okay, so you mentioned something about being in a male-dominated world and having your female voice in there. You are somebody who is a very feminine woman. Have you had battles of trying to... Of, of maintaining that while being in this male-dominated world, while not having that be the thing that you rely on? I think um, it's taken me a long time to figure out how to have that balance. Because, and I've said this before, I think early on in my career, I very much try, I mean, listen, I've always been into makeup and hair extensions and like whatever. <laughs> um, even then, like the extensions I was rocking were like clip and extensions, like did not pay a lot of money for them. Like, you know, not knowing that you could get like fusions or like permanent extensions that look more real, but I mean, it is what it is, but In terms of balancing the two, it took me a long time to figure out that I could be into fashion and into makeup and still be a credible sports host. And I think because of that early on in my career, I really tried to be one of the guys and I tried to prove that like, oh, I'm not one of those girls. Like I'm one of the guys. And I thought that was like a badge of honor if someone said that to me. And I've realized in hindsight It was actually toxic as fuck for me to think that way. Like, no, actually, I don't need to be one of the boys or not like makeup or not be into self-tanner to be worthy of a spot here. I can be whoever I am. And if that means that I like makeup and I'm a fan of Justin Bieber and I'm into things that are not necessarily sports specific, that's okay. Like dudes have interests outside of sports as well. I know more dudes who love The Bachelor than I do chicks. Nobody questions their knowledge of sports or their spot in the space. No, I know exactly what you mean. Where I feel like if you are a woman in that sport, that needs to be the only thing that you are and it's the only thing you care about. It's the only thing you're focused on where like the second you give someone that shred of that peak of like, oh yeah, I was listening to this Taylor Swift song or yeah, I I was watching Love is Blind or whatever. Great show, by the way. But you feel like you're like letting people in on this other, like you feel like you've got to live like this double life. Yeah, you can't be more than one thing as a woman in a lot of areas, not just in sports. It's like, okay, are you going to be the pretty girl or are you going to be one of the guys? If you're funny, then you can't be pretty. And if you're pretty, then you can't be funny. And you, you know, you can't be funny and intelligent. Like, which one are you? It's like, no, Let's stop putting women in boxes. You know what I mean? Like we can have layers. Football fans, check out the three and out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the volume podcast network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. 
Download Three and Out with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. Katie Nolan, I'm so excited to have you on the sessions. Finally, I feel like this is, uh, I don't know, seven years in the making. I feel like I've been told about you and ready to meet you uh, for at least seven years now. So it is an honor to be here. And it's so nice to talk to you face to face. It's so nice. It's so funny. I really feel like kind of as soon as I started like working and you started working, people were like, wow, we need to see like Renee and Katie together. And through Zoom is the best that we can do right now. But it is a yeah, start. Through, through we'll Zoom and in our PJs. So honestly, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's so funny. I feel like there's times that I'm like, man, I used to really feel like I had my finger on the pulse with fashion. I loved a good loud outfit. And now as soon as I even attempt, I'm like, First of all, who do you think you are anymore? Second of all, let's put the sweats back on. This is the jig is up. At least you had it and then kind of lost it. I never had it. <laughs> I was always just like, yeah, I'll put on this shirt. And then I would just look at people's faces and be like, all right, this is good. Then I'll wear this. <laughs> I had no idea. So this to me is like, finally, I can embrace sweatpants. But I will say makeup. I have um, I went through phases in the pandemic where I was like, oh, I'm starting to get good at it. Now, when I put it on, I'm like, that's entirely wrong. And why are you doing it? <laughs> yeah, I'll like catch myself like I put on I, if I'm doing a record like this, even though like my hair's in a I'm wearing a sports bra, my hair's a mess. I'm like, let's just slap on a lash and see what happens. But then I'll pass myself like later in the day, like through a mirror in my house. And I'm like, calm down. What's going on here? Like, calm it down. You really didn't need that winged of a <laughs> liner when you're not even wearing foundation, Katie. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm practicing. It's so hard to wing once your eyes are starting to sag over because you're in your <laughs> mid thirties. It's like, let's now, just pull it a little taut. Yeah. Now is not the time for me to try to learn how to do this. And yet I'm trying my best. Listen, we got to just, you got to cast that reel out there and just see what happens. It's, it's all about the effort. Um, how have you been? What's going on in your world? Um, you know, obviously, as with, I think, most people in the world, a lot of stuff in my life has changed kind of dramatically and quickly over the last, uh, let's say, two years. That was a little bit of like a, woo rough waters. Um, and yeah, I get a little motion sick. So it was a little rough there for a while. Um, I've always been open about the fact that I deal with depression and depression really rears its head when you are isolated and, um, you know, going through transitions in your life. I had a rough time. I kind of sat with what I've done in however many years and it's felt like two, but apparently it's been at least seven. And I sort of sat with it and was like, all right, what's, um, do we have a plan? What are we doing? What's working? What's not working? Are there things you want to try that you haven't tried yet? Like, do you want to do this anymore? And then, of course, you know, as a, again, a woman in her mid thirties, your body's like, are we going to do the kid thing? Is that going to happen at some point? And so like having all of that happen at once, um, very lucky that I have a wonderful uh, boyfriend who rode through it with me and an adorable dog who did so as well. But it, it was a tough time. And um, and so now to answer your actual question, how am I um, now? I am working and I'm working at something I've never done before and never in a million years thought they would allow me to do. I'm in the booth for uh, Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV Plus, not to give a shout out, but shout out. Give the shout out. Shout out from the rooftops. It is so hard, Renee. It is so hard. 
and it's so different from anything I've ever done, but I'm, I'm still, I think we're like nine weeks in now. I'm still excited. I get excited around this time every week for like what the game is going to be this week. And so like, I, I'm enjoying it. Like I said, it's hard and people aren't being very nice, but I think that like, I keep checking myself to be like, look, if you don't enjoy this, you don't have to do this. This might've just been a mistake and it doesn't have to be like a career defining mistake. It can just be like, Hey, you tried it and it didn't work. So let's pivot. And so I keep checking with myself, but myself keeps responding with like, no, I think we should keep going. And so that's, that's where I'm at. Given your skill set and your personality that I, I know from seeing your shows and just seeing you as a personality, I feel like it should be this great fit of this quick thinker. You're very witty and sharp, and it's finding a way to apply that into something that has never been done before, which is obviously not easy to do, as you said. Um, so what have been some of the learning curves of trying to jump in there as a female voice, I hate even saying that, but it's true. You jump in there as a female voice and you, you it's a three-man booth, yeah? Mm-hmm. And trying to find what your voice is, how you can still have that fun, witty side of Katie Nolan and bring that to the sport. This could be the rest of the podcast. I could, you and I could go back and forth on this one question for the rest of the podcast. So a couple tough things that are separate from the things you've already mentioned are tough before we get to those. I got this job the day after they had their first rehearsal, which was the week before the first game. So I got this job and that Friday was traveling. And it was just like, uh, are we doing this? I guess I'm doing this. And then like, you need to hurry up and do this. So it came together very last minute. Whereas I think if I had had, I don't know, a couple months to ease from only playing video games and never putting pants on um, <laughs> all day to like getting dressed and doing your hair and makeup in front of a camera, I think I would have spent a lot of that like listening to booths that people like or, you know, watching games from the last season to just get back in the vibe. But again, I had a day. So um, so it was kind of, that was a little bit stressful. And then the fact that the booth itself, I didn't meet my booth mates, Stephen Nelson and Hunter Pence until, uh, and I should mention Heidi Watney is on the field. I always, she's not in the booth, but she is a huge part of our team. I always hear she's a gem too. So shout out to Heidi. And she's like royalty to me because I'm a Red Sox fan and she was our, our reporter. And so like, when I heard she was working on it, I was like, um, the maybe jumps to yes, I have to work with Heidi Watney. And she's every bit a queen that I thought she was. But I digress. I hadn't, I didn't meet them until the day before slash some of them the day of our very first game. They, they, that's wild. And I'm, I love meeting new people and facilitating conversations between groups of people that may not know each other. It's like my favorite thing to do, but doing so while also technically calling a major league baseball game that is not, um, this isn't a simulcast, which I think part of my brain was like, well, if they can do it, then I can do. And it was like, oh no, no, this is the broadcast. So if a fan of this team, like a die hard, angry fan of this team is wanting to watch this game, they don't care about you figuring it out. They need you to call the game that's happening. So that was a little, um, stressful, and then the, the other part is Hunter has Hunter Pence very recently was a baseball player. He hasn't been a broadcaster for an extremely long time. He's not a, you know, long time, well tenured play by play guy, which is exactly why they want him. And which is exactly why I love him as a person. 
But it's also like none of us, of the three of us, are like, oh, this is what happens when this happens. And Steven Nelson, also incredible, very experienced. I have no idea how he does the actual play-by-play. Of, that sounds, it's the craziest job to me. I'm watching people hand him slips of paper and he's like reading them while also watching the game, while also scoring it. I'm like, you're out of your mind. I have no idea how you're doing any of that. You're a machine. Michael Cole would do that when I first started doing commentary with WWE and I was like the same. I was like in the weeds where I'm like, what is happening? What am I doing? Oh my God, where do I go? What do I say? What do I do with my hands? And he's sitting there just like, Reading the script that is changing, getting notes from Vince or from Kevin Dunn, reacting to that stuff, texting his wife, like doing 16 different, catching his like uh, door, the door app thing, whatever. Like he would see who's like ringing his doorbell to like drop off packages. Like what is happening? And he's just like so smooth, doesn't miss a beat. Oh, my God. How inferior does it make you feel? Because you're like, I can't find the stat that I know I wrote down, but I have six notebooks in front of me and idiot me can't remember what notebook this stupid stat is in. So I'm looking for one thing I once knew and he's using 800 things he currently knows. Oh my God. The relatability to me for that is so funny. The amount of times that I'd be like, notes, 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 this line, this line, this line. I'm like, oh fuck, what was the thing I wanted to say? Shit, the moment's passed. Now we We've moved on to another segment. Can I find a way to shoehorn that line back in here? And then you do and it's crickets and you're like, I should have left that. I should have left it. I should have said goodbye. It is so hard to find. So the point I'm making is like, the, it's all we're all new. We're all new to each other. We're all new to the job relatively, especially in that industry where like the people who've done it have mostly done it for a really, really long time. So we're figuring all that out. And at the same time, I'm trying to figure out how to be this new question mark. Like the goal is to be a gateway. I know that sounds like I think I'm some woo. My goal is to be like, look, if you love sports, it's like what I wanted to do with the Olympics too, and still want to do. If you like sports, you will like this thing, even if you think you don't like it. You might think you don't like it because you don't like uh, something about it that wasn't explained to you, or you might not like it because you don't understand it, or you might not like, but whatever it is, it can be awesome. And like loving sports, the older I get, the more I'm like, you love sports, you can love any sport. You can find that moment. It can give you that feeling. It can give you the same feeling that your favorite sport gives you you can still get that little tingle that you get like in your rib cage. It's funny because I feel like you do a really good job of making things accessible in that sense. Like I was watching you doing like Olympic stuff, talking about snowboarding. You're like, what is this move? Doing it with like the Barbie doll, trying to like figure things out, which is great. But it's also like, I know how hard it is to be in a spot like that and try to not dumb something down, but to just be like, this is for everybody. We're all learning. If you don't know every insider term, here's X, Y, and Z. But it's hard because the people that like me, who I'm like, oh, what is this flip that she's talking about? I'm all in. But the people that are like these diehards, it's like that weird juxtaposition of being. Have you found it hard kind of doing that dance? Yeah. And I, uh, you know how much it pains me to say this because I know you kind of said something like it a second ago. We hate to bring it up. It's been very hard doing that as a woman, because as a woman, when you say, 
I don't know. They say no women know. Yes. Or the women say you're making us look bad. We are taking a step back because of you. And and it's like um, it's just really tough because you feel like you're leaning into the wind and you're walking in like a snowstorm and you're really trying and it hurts. But you're like, I know that I'm doing this for a reason. And then the reason that you think you're doing it is yelling at you to tell you that you're actually making it worse. It's hard to tune that out and be like, no, I know that what I'm doing is the right thing and is the good thing in the future. Like it it pushes us in the right direction. It really sucks getting yelled at by women. And you're like, come on, I'm not trying to sound like an idiot. And I, and screw you. I don't sound like an idiot because I know I'm not an idiot, but I'm making jokes because jokes are an easy way to bring people in. Because if something is funny, they won't really care what the other thing is. I've seen it with millions of podcasts where people are like, oh, I listened to this podcast about history. I hate history, but the two guys who host it are so funny. So I'll listen to them and then I might learn something. So I try to do it by being funny and I try to do it by asking questions. Questions that sometimes TV magic, I know the answer to, but I know that like a week ago or like if I hadn't prepped for this game, I wouldn't know the answer to. So sometimes I ask them to make the people at home who might have that question go, oh, it's okay to know to like have that question. Like, I'm not in the booth trying to be like, I know everything about baseball. I'm the expert. I know these guys in and out because I don't. I'm a studio host who likes to tell jokes, who thinks that athletes are people. And that's like a huge part of um, the way that I interact with sports. And I like to show human moments and I like to make people laugh. Apple didn't hire me thinking that I was going to suddenly become a person who can tell you how many outs there are right now. And the hardest part of these first few weeks and the thing I have to keep reminding myself, stop trying to become that because you will be a subpar version of that because you haven't had the time, the experience, any of that. Okay, here's a quick question. How many times have you had to have have this conversation with yourself throughout your career? Because you have been going against the grain from day one that you must constantly just have to check in to remind yourself, yes, I am doing something good and trying to pave the way. And that shit is not fucking easy. Honestly, Renee, until, um, and this might be recency bias. I'm going to try to check myself as I say it. Until this recent, uh, like the COVID halt that we kind of came to, I don't think I was as aware of like what I was making or trying to do. It was kind of just like, well, they said I can, so I'm gonna, and I'm gonna work really hard at it. And then I'm gonna ask, can I do this? And if they say I can, then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna work real hard at it. It sort of just felt like I was following a predetermined path that I was just like, yeah, well, this is logical next step. And this is logical next step. I haven't had a lot of moments where I'm like, what's my big decision gonna be? Like, I think joining ESPN was a big decision. It was like the mothership. And so it wasn't really that big of a decision. It was like the names of people I'd get to work with and and all that. I haven't had to check myself as much uh, until now, until now that I'm aware, now that I've looked back and gone, because I had a moment where I was really about to probably snap. And my boyfriend was like, have you looked back and like, look at all that you've done. He was like, you've won an Emmy. You were bartending. You graduated college. You couldn't get a job. You, you bartended. And then you just kind of started doing a thing and like you work at ESPN 
and you won an Emmy and you are a, a single, like a female hosted show. And he like kind of, I don't know, resumed me at me. We love a good, let somebody pump my tires up and yeah, remind me, remind us who we are. And please. It was, I had, I kind of like, all of a sudden I felt like, it was like I looked over the edge and realized how high up on a building I was. Mm. And then I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I like <laughs> stepped back and was like, I did, whoa, I better not screw this up. And I think like that thought is then what now has me like forgetting. Because sometimes I'll get so afraid that this tiny leap of faith I made of like, you know what? Because I sat with this baseball decision for a while when they asked me. And when they first asked me, I laughed out loud. And I was like, that's the... They're so sweet. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, and then the the guy the, from Apple that came up with the idea called me and explained to me his idea of why he's like, here's why you. And he was like, we want, you know, more people to feel welcomed in this sport. We want it to be fun and feel alive. And um, and like, we think you can bring that to the booth. We want to try it. We wanted, they originally were like, we want it to be like a podcast while a baseball game is going on. I called my best friend and I was like, here's a crazy idea that I was just pitched. It was actually her birthday yesterday. So let me just say happy birthday to the most beautiful woman on earth, Hannah. Hannah Weir. I, she's Hannah Abdelhamid to me, but Hannah Weir, I love you so much. She'll never hear this. She's the greatest. You would love Love her. the name Hannah too, by the way. Really loved it. It kept coming to me when I was pregnant. I was like, am I naming my baby Hannah? No H on the end. That's like my baby's Nora. Yeah. No H. I love this. Shout out to the no H's. But so I was talking to Hannah, the most wonderful woman on earth. And she and I was like, isn't that silly that they would ask me to do that? And she was like, Kate, listen to your voice light up talking about it. Like you do love baseball. Like you're you connect it with your family. It's like the sport your dad taught you. It was I mean, I played softball, but it was the sport we would go watch, you know, Red Sox games together. She's like, you should I think you should try it. And like hearing another person say that when I think in the back of my mind, I was like, I just need someone else to confirm that I think I should try this. And then she did. And I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna. So like, I think my fear lately is that that tiny step, that leap was like, nah, you overestimated your abilities. And obviously you couldn't do this and you knew you couldn't do this. And you should have listened to your first instinct, which was to laugh. But I have to keep sitting myself down and being like, it's, you can keep trying, try it for a full season and see. The thing I'll say too, from like, just from my experience doing commentary, but mostly being around people that have done it for a long time, it is not that thing that people jump in and are like, they get it. It takes years and years and years to like really hone that craft and find what your voice is and find that pacing and the chemistry, all those things. Um, really quickly, let's just get to it quick so that we don't have to dwell on it. What happened with ESPN? And then we don't have to talk about it. Um, oh, I don't even remember at this point. Um, so <laughs> it's all a blur. I, I was there for a couple of years. Um, there was like a lot of, uh, what's the word they use in companies like that when they shift reorgs. There were a lot of reorganization things happening around the time I got there, which got me kind of lost in the shuffle. One thing I learned when I got over there, ESPN has so much talent. I'm using that as like a job title. They have so much talent. We had an all talent only meeting, like probably two or three months into me working there. And it was in like an auditorium. And I remember looking out and being like, that is a sea of on-air talent. Because you got to think about like Deportes and like ESPN2, all the sports centers, all the, all of that. There's so many hosts. And I think that like, if you're not tethered to a property, 
like a solid property, then you can just kind of get lost in that. And that's just my assessment. That may not be how other people's experiences at ESPN, but it felt to me like if I had a, at least like a, an executive or some sort of like, you know, I do a weekly thing on sports center. So I'm tied to sports center. You can kind of just, they can forget that you're there. And like, if that's how you want to work, like if you don't want to do anything, then you could probably skate by until they notice and then they stop hiring. But if you like want to get things done, it can be very frustrating. And it's a lot of it felt like it was on me to be proactive, to go and ask people for the work. And it, in my experience, it was like, well, then why work for a company if I have to then go and solicit the work? I thought that the agreement was that you give me the work and I do the work. I like having tasks given to me that I want to complete, but I'm not good at making my own to-do list. Like it's much easier for me if someone's like, let's clean the kitchen. I'm like, good kitchen. I'm going to clean it. That's why I pushed to have a show and we made Always Late. It launched with ESPN Plus, which was brand new at the time. And they were figuring out rights and stuff like that. Like what, how much of the content that runs on plus can we then post anywhere else, like promoting the show? And it was a pretty small amount. And so there was kind of this period where incredibly online me was making content at a company that I couldn't share anywhere online. And it was, people were kind of just like, where did she go? And I was working really hard on something that I I don't think a lot of people were seeing just by nature of it being a new app. And the, like, not a lot of people had switched over to it yet. They weren't interacting with it and I couldn't really spread it, which stinks. Cause when I work on something, I want to work on it really hard and make it as good as I possibly can. And was that the greatest show ever? No, but it's very hard for me to go, well, then let's make the show terrible and make something that's going to get out there into the world good. I'm more like, no, I don't want there to ever be evidence that I made a show that was absolutely terrible because that'll just be what takes me down. So we did that for a while, then it moved to TV. And then once the pandemic hit, I kind of felt like we were the voice of the show. It was called Always Late. May it rest in peace. God rest its soul. It was a great show. I hope you're proud of what that show was. Oh, thank you. I am. I think I'm less proud of it than Garbage Time, but I think I'll be more proud of it in time. I haven't gone back and watched it. But the week that we had to stop because of COVID, my scheduled guest was Orange Cassidy. And I was so excited to figure out how to interview Orange Cassidy. And then we had to cancel for the pandemic. And so I think voice wise, I was like, oh, we are actually primed for a time in sports where a sports network is going to have to cover things, but there are no sports to cover. I was like, the voice of my show is perfectly aligned with that. Like we, we, sometimes we don't get to the games because we're talking about all the stuff tangentially related to sports. But I just think that that wasn't ever going to be how it worked. It wasn't ever going to be because there were no sports. My show became the most important show because you still had, you know, Stephen A. Smith's and like people who, who make things that depend on the sport. They're still your top talent. And so our show um, got cut. It was a bummer, but it was also like, it was going to be impossible to try to produce from our homes anyway. The amount of having to film myself do comedy alone in a room would have really bummed me out, would have reminded me of my old YouTube days. And I always felt like I was developing a mental disorder in my old YouTube days because you're like laughing and talking and you're alone in a house and it's just kind of messy. were like, keep so, it down. Exactly. So part of me was happy and like relieved that we didn't have to do that. But then- We started focusing on what the only outlet I had was my podcast. So they bumped us up to two days a week. um, And Ashley and I, Ashley Brabant, my best friend and beloved former co-host, we had kind of figured out this, we had gotten it to a place where we were making something we really liked. And then um, in a round of layoffs, 
without any warning, uh, Ashley was gone. And so that really bummed me out. And then uh, I think shortly after that, I'm again, bad at timelines and calendars in general. Dan Lebetard announced that he was leaving. And then it was just like, I, I just kind of felt like I was at a party I, I didn't want to be at. It genuinely felt like I was at someone's house. Like I came as a friend of a friend and then all my friends left. And then I was like, hey, sorry, I'm still here. It was just kind of the vibe. And so we had a conversation about, about, you know, still working there, not working there. And I think we just decided that it was like, no, this is, we should go. We should probably wrap it up. Like a part of me was terrified to have no job because of the pandemic. And because, you know, media is completely different now than it was six months ago and will be completely different in six more months. So it's like, it's tough to make that kind of a move without a sure next thing. But then another part of me was like, you need a vacation. (laughs) And if that vacation just means like from moving, then take that vacation. Like watch the TV shows you've never been able to watch. Build all these Legos that you've bought over (laughs) the years of like things that you've wanted to do and play with and like enjoy some stuff and just chill for a little bit. Easier said than done, though, right? Did you have an easy time to kind of give in to that? Let me just enjoy this. Or did you feel, were you feeling a little bit like the rug had been pulled out from underneath you? Well, look, so it's never difficult for me to be lazy um, <laughs> physically. Physically, la- I am physically love laying down, love having a sit. Nothing I love more than like, oh, a a commute where I like walk two steps to a sit and then I get to sit and then I transfer to another sit, but it's only a couple steps away. I love sitting and laying down. I spend a lot of time in bed. So that part of it's not difficult. The mental side of it, the part where I needed to be a little like mentally lazy and instead of like running through the reality of my situation every five minutes to make me realize like, oh, you are um, getting older, don't have a job. Nothing lined up. There's so much for us to unpack here because you and I went through, I feel like you and I are living essentially kind of this parallel life of working for this gigantic company, decide to go separate ways, being like mid thirties. What the fuck do I do now? I've got this body of work. My body is telling me, hey, I I did crank out having a baby. I got on, I literally was pregnant right after I left WWE. So I was like, okay, good. I can at least check that box. But it's just such a mind fuck though. And I I think for anybody, but when you've been working so hard for so many years and then all of a sudden you get off that ride and you're like, wait, am I, my head's still kind of spinning? How do I gather my thoughts? What is next for me? Imposter syndrome has always kind of been a thing for me where I'm like, was that all just a fluke that I was doing anything to begin with? It's all very hard to wrap your head around. I honestly, um, I bought a journal at a CVS, which is a weakness of mine. It's my toxic trait. If I go to a, a Target or a CVS or a Walgreens, a Rite Aid, I'm picking up at least two notebooks, colored pens too. And like that tape and like the, all the little sticky, whatever. I'm like, a, I, I now have the trapper keeper I always wanted, but my mom always bought me those like mead notebooks, one subject. And you're like, thanks mom. I'm the Lisa Frank I wanted to see in the world. (laughs) Let your Lisa Frank fly, baby. But so I bought this notebook and I just started like writing things down. And then there would be days where like my boyfriend would come home from, you know, back when he started going back out into the world and would be doing, you know, stand up sets or his radio show. And he'd come home and I would just be like writing and he with headphones in and he would come in and be like, hey, and I would just put my hand up 
and just keep writing and writing. And I haven't gone back and read any of them yet, but I bet um, there's some stuff in there that might help me through all of this. So I'm realizing as I'm saying it to you, I'd probably go read what I wrote. Oh, it's, it is such a weird time though, too. Like, I just feel like it's something about being in your mid thirties too, of like actually hitting your stride and being like, I know what I'm doing now. I've done it. I've got the experience. I've been there and done that. I'm ready to pivot into that, into that next thing. But when you don't have your hand on that next branch and you have that moment of like, Oh God, where am I going to land? What am I going to do? It can be such a weird thing. Uh, but you mentioned earlier uh, when we first hopped on here that there was a point that you were thinking about maybe not doing this at all. What were you thinking about then? What was that looking like? I hadn't really taken, I don't think I let myself take the second step of like, what would it look like if I didn't? It was just a like, is this the natural end point of this? Getting into whatever this job even was that I've been doing, it was always like, Interview questions were always like sports and comedy. People have tried it. Doesn't always work. And I think I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. But this one's gonna because it's funny and it doesn't matter. I think it doesn't work because people bail on it. I don't know something about making similar shows. I know Garbage Time and Always Late were different, but it was just me making a show. So it's like making it in two different places and it quote unquote not working as in, I don't know, what did I think it was going to become the top show on the network? No, but it didn't get the push or bump that I I thought it was going to get. What do you think that's about? Is that about just like people maybe not understanding it or people at the jump are like, yeah, let's try this new thing, but not really giving it the time that it truly needs to marinate to be successful? You know what? I think like I don't um, and I always said this from the start is like, I don't actually know how to make TV. I just watch a lot of TV and I know how to um, make stuff that makes me laugh. So like having a good producer and we had a, but we've had a bunch of different throughout this run, but having a good producer that can be like, Oh, this is that becomes the cold open. And that's the, this and learning from them was great and helpful. But I feel like it could just be that like, maybe I make a bad TV show. The thing to me that has always been my guiding principle is like, I don't care if anybody else likes it as much as like, I want to make sure I like it. And that might sound selfish, but to me, it's like, it would be selfish to make it for somebody else. It would be selfish of me to be like, yeah, let me make this show exactly what that person wants because who's that? That person doesn't know. And I think that if you make something that's true to you, it will resonate with other people. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know, jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them, maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions. 